So as we uh, enter this time of uh, preparation, as I would invite you to spend the next weeks as we look towards Easter to, uh, to be preparing your heart for that, for that time as we enter this Easter season. We're in a new series called Impossible. Impossible, because we worship a God, we follow a God who makes the impossible possible. So as we begin this series, would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to sing and to proclaim the truth that we have in you. Your spirit is here. Holy Spirit, you are among us, and I just ask right now that you would continue to work on the hearts and lives of those gathered. Lord, as we go to your word, I would ask that you would, you would speak. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you to speak through me as your servant, Lord. Lord, regardless of what we have going on in our heads or our hearts with what we, we brought in here, with what we have to do later today, I just ask that you would still it in all of us so that we would be open to your word, that your voice would work in our hearts and minds, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed, that this wouldn't be a time of just information gathering where I transfer information to those those people of yours gathered here, but that truly you would transform hearts and lives, that we would leave here differently today because we were here. Lord, as we look to you, our God of the impossible, Lord, allow us to have the hope and the strength and the belief and the faith that you are a God that can make the impossible things possible. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, I was at the intersection of, I think it's called Leeds Corner, uh, 322 and, and uh, Forge Road with uh, my daughter, and I just learned that this morning. And there was a, there was a, there was a sign on the corner of that intersection, a sign over there, and uh, I, I didn't really notice the sign. I've never really paid attention to it. Uh, it has a truck on it, you know, so what what does it matter to me? And, but, uh, you know, my, my, my daughter, yeah, I'm in the minivan stage. It's just, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Anyway, but my daughter says to me, Daddy, what are clickle whiskers? Clickle whiskers. I'm thinking, well, honey, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, well, what are clickle whiskers? And I'm like, honey, I, I've, I don't know what you're saying. She's like, it's on the sign. So like, I'm looking to see if like, there's like one of those little signs on the side of the road for like a new business coming up or, you know, some like pet store or something along those lines. And I'm like, honey, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, dad, it's on the sign with the truck. It says clickle whiskers. And I'm like, I still have no idea what she's saying. Well, it turns out that on that sign was clicklewiscars.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Clickle whiskers. Right? I'm the dumb one here, apparently, you know? So. What are clickle whiskers? So I finally figured it out, and I knew that this is what she was talking about. But you know, uh, signs can be confusing sometimes. To, to little ones, signs can be confusing to us, but you know, really, the point of a sign is to give us direction. It's to tell us where to go. It's to tell us how to find our way throughout our days, throughout while we're driving, regardless of what it is. And signs also have another way of working if it's not a strange website. Signs also give us information, right? Like we read the signs and we get information from the signs. And so those are, those are common to us in our daily life. But there's another kind of sign that we don't find on the side of the road that's common to us as well. 
We all have these signs in our own lives, sometimes in our own beings, the way that we live, the way that we work. Let me give you an example. Uh, We all have signs when we're tired and hungry, don't we? In fact, if I were to ask you what's your spouse's sign when they're tired or hungry, you'd be able to tell me, right? We all have signs when when we're depressed. We all have signs that we know we have when we're anxious, don't we? We have these signs that are come up in our lives. We have these signs when we're restless. We have signs when we're stressed out. We have signs when the bank account's lower than the bill's coming in. We have these signs. There are these things that if we pay attention to them, they tell us information about our own lives. This idea of signs is so important in the Bible, too. Did you know God used signs? God used signs throughout the scriptures. In fact, he used it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God provided a sign usually to point people to give direction about a spiritual truth, something he wanted them to know. And so God often through the Old Testament, he would perform signs through even human human beings. He would use them to perform signs. And so some of those examples, uh, one of the signs that we probably, even if you just grew up in church and maybe you're just coming back, one of the signs that even you would know would be the plagues in Egypt. Right? Those are signs from God that, that let people know that he was up to something there. The plagues, there's, there's signs, there's crazy signs. Uh, if you've never read the prophet Isaiah, you know, we're going to have a class coming up on it. Uh, Isaiah at one point had to walk around naked and barefoot for three years as a sign. As a sign to God's people, or as a sign that there was judgment coming to the nations of Egypt and Ethiopia. So that was a sign that he had. But in the Old Testament, God used signs to do something. He used signs to authenticate that the person who was bringing his message was bringing a message from him. He was using these signs to say, hey, listen, not only is this sign directing you to me, but this sign is giving you information that my messenger is from me, and you need to believe the message that he's giving you. For the next six weeks, we're going to look at signs, not in the Old Testament, though, in the New Testament. We're going to look at signs from the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, seven signs that he picks out that point us, that give us information, that authenticate that Jesus truly was the Son of God. You know, there's, in, the, in the Gospels, that's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's 34 miracles, 34 miracles total, but John chooses to use seven, or he chooses to highlight seven of those miracles as signs Signs that he wants people to see. Signs that he wants people to know the information that they're telling us. And he tells us this at the end of his book of John. He tells us that uh, the gospel, it says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So out of 34, John wanted to use seven for that purpose. Seven impossible things. Seven impossible miracles made possible because he wants you to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that when you believe in him, you will have life. And so I'm excited for these signs. And the reason what we're going to learn through these next seven weeks, six weeks, on our way to Easter, what I want you to walk away with from this entire series is this simple thing, though. We don't just seek miracles, we seek Jesus. It's not about the miracle, it's about the one who the miracle is pointing to. But I do believe that when we seek Jesus, God will do miraculous things in our life. So today we've got our first miracle to talk about. And I want us to learn just one thing. This is all I want you to walk away with today. And it's this, that without a problem, 
there would be no need for a miracle. Without a problem, there would be no need for a miracle. So today, our first sign, there's a simple problem. They ran out of wine. Yeah, you never thought you'd talk about that at church, did you? Yeah, they ran out of wine. So I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, as we look at this first sign, as we dig in, we see what God wants to show us through this miracle. So if you have your Bibles, pull that out. John chapter 2, we're going to walk through this together. I'll also have the, the words up here on the screens. John tells us, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, if you don't know this, weddings were kind of big events in the time that Jesus walked on earth. In fact, they were huge social events, and often they lasted a week. So it wasn't like, you know, you do the wedding, you have the reception, and then everybody goes home. No, it lasted a week. It was a week-long party, and every single day, new guests showed up. And every single day, the groom's family had to pour out more and more money for more food, for more wine. It was a big deal. And this, what we're about to hear is that, you know, Jesus and his disciples are at this wedding, and there was a social catastrophe that happened. A social catastrophe. It says when the wine ran out, that's a big deal. It'd be shame to the, the, to the family. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I would not suggest that any of you say to your spouse or your mom, woman, what does this have to do with me, Right? That's a free lesson for you today. Don't say that when you go home today. But, but here's the thing. They ran out of wine, and some, some scholars actually believe that maybe Jesus' mother Mary uh, was related to the family, or maybe Mary was just a compassionate person, and she heard that they were running out of wine, and she knew who would solve the problem. And so she comes to Jesus, and she lets him know. But this, this phrase, woman, what does this have to do with me now? It sounds much worse to us with our 21st century ears. This isn't actually that bad of a term. It would be something that would be said. It would be how you you would refer to a woman. It was don't, don't get me wrong. Even then, it wasn't an endearing one. But Jesus says, "There, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come." Because Jesus wanted her to know, like, yeah, I know that you know who I am, but I'm on the timetable that God, that God really wants me to follow. Nevertheless, his mother turned to the servants and says, "Do do whatever he tells you." Isn't that just like a mom? I mean, let's be honest. Like, I know you probably heard this. It's just like a mom. Like, he's like, Mom, I don't want to do that. And she just ignores it and says, do whatever he says, right? Even Jesus had a mom that would act like that. Now, this is, and this is what happens. The, it, it unfolds. It says, now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, And they filled them to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So let's talk about a couple things here. 20 to 30 gallons of water. That's 757 bottles of wine. 757. No, I did not figure that out myself. That was in a commentary. I didn't figure that out this week. But yeah, 757 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine that Jesus made water into wine. And, and 
if, if you read this, it was, they were from these things that were, these jars, they were tall clay jars, and they would fill them with wine, or fill them with water, not wine, water, and people would use them, it said, for the Jewish rite of purification. Because the Jews, in the Old Covenant, the Jews believed that your hands and your feet had to be washed. And, and so they had to do this ritual washing of their hands to become clean, to go from unclean to clean before they could eat. And so Jesus used these huge jars, and they took the water, now become wine, to the master of the, the, master of the uh, wedding, and, and he took a drink. And this is basically what he says, if you haven't figured it out. He says, most people, they give really good wine. They give the good wine, you know, the $50 bottle wine, until people get drunk, and then they give the wine that has a little foot on it. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but we won't, you don't have to call yourself out at church. You know, some, but that's what, that's what they did. They gave the bad wine second. They gave the cheap wine second because people were already filled. But you gave the best wine of all. But we can, we can look at the wine. We can believe in the wine. But what I want us to see this morning, if you've never seen this before, I'm encouraging you to look deeper into Scripture. What we see in this first sign from Jesus is something below the surface, something subtle, Something God is doing through this miracle. Something that God is pointing us to through this miracle. And what he's pointing us to through this miracle is that God was up to something new through Jesus Christ. You see, this, this uh, water become wine, these vessels that were filled, that were used for Jew- Jewish purification, these were a sign of the old covenant. They were a sign of the fact that you could never go from, clean, from unclean to clean and stay that way. And so people constantly had to wash. And as they washed and followed the old covenant, they would go from unclean to clean. But they would get dirty again. And so Jesus uses this symbol, these jars that showed that you would never become clean for good, to fill them with wine. Wine that three years later he would be before his disciples in a room and say, this cup, in this cup, is the blood of a new covenant. Not the old covenant, but a new covenant that's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink. This wine represents my blood. What Jesus is saying to them, that God's up to something new, and in the very first sign, the very first miracle, God is saying through Jesus and through this sign, don't miss this, that the old is becoming new. That which would never make you clean forever eventually will be made into clean, make you clean forever through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus wanted to show us all through this sign is that God is up to something new. The problem was wine, but God had a purpose behind the miracle. In the Old Testament, as we read the Old Testament, especially the prophet Isaiah again, Dave, you're going to have a lot of people in your class. The prophet Isaiah says over and over again, one of the things in Isaiah 25, if you want to read it today, he says that one of the symbols of the Messiah, the Savior coming, would be that wine would overflow. It would come over the brim and it would overflow and there would be blessing upon blessing when the Messiah came. And Jesus was signaling to us all that this was up to something new because God had a purpose C.S. Lewis once said that God never does parlor tricks. God doesn't do miracles just for the fun of it. No, he has a purpose behind them. And John tells us the purpose in John 11. 2.11, he says, this is the first of his signs that Jesus did it at Cana in Galilee. And it manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, just like the Old Testament signs, this sign had a purpose it had a purpose to point people to something. 
to point people to the reality that God was up to something new, and he was up to something new through this man called Jesus. And he did something impossible. He turned water into wine. Now what does this have to do with you? What is this just below the surface story, this sign that who, of who Jesus was, have to do with you today? Well, here's the thing. Not only was God up to something new when he turned water into wine, when he took symbols of never being able to be clean forever and make you clean forever, but God wants to be up to something new in you today. I hope you know that. I hope you know that each and every one of you, as you're sitting here today, God is still not finished with you. God still wants to be up to something new. Remember in the beginning when I talked about those signs? Those signs that we have in our life that come out when we know something's wrong, whether it's we're angry, we're hungry, we're depressed, we're anxious. Some of you, if not all of you, could immediately think of the signs that you have in your life that come out that tell you, that give you information that something's wrong. Some of us, some of you sitting here right here this morning, I'm one of you, has signs has reoccurring sins, has patterns of behavior, patterns of thought that point you to the reality that you're headed in the wrong direction. And God wants to be up to something new in you today. What's the information that your signs are giving you? Do they tell you that you're broken? Do they tell you that you're in need of a healer? Do they tell you that they need, you need something, you need the God of the impossible to do something that's only possible through him. That's what God is up to today. And Jesus asked, what did he ask for in his miracle? He just asked for water, like the most basic human element ever. He asked for water and he turned it into wine. If Jesus can take the molecules of water and transform them into wine without any, any with ease, without any difficulty whatsoever, do you not think that he can take the very smallest part of your heart if you were open to it and transform you and change you? Do you not know that Jesus can do anything? He can make the impossible possible in your life. If he can talk to water and he can say, I need you to change the very laws of nature that he created, he can bend them in a jar to make them from water to wine. What can he do to you? Because this is the truth about Jesus Christ. He is someone who can constantly make the old become new. And that's what he wants to do in you today. A lot of the signs that you have, Christian, are signs that you have not completely made old into new. Yes, sure, at one point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you said, yes, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. I want to follow you with all of my heart, but there's a lot of old things. There's a lot of jars that are sitting around that have not yet been surrendered to him. There's a lot of old things that have their way of creeping up when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're stressed out, when you're depressed. Am I wrong? Maybe I'm the only one here. That's okay, I'll just preach to myself this morning. But, but there's a lot of old things, and Jesus says, I am up to something new, and I want to make your old become new. 
Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is who Jesus is. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, listen to me. There is old inside of you. There is death inside of you. There is sin inside of you. And the good news is that you don't have to stay that way. Because without a problem, there's no need for a miracle. But guess what, folks? We all have the same problem. We're sinners and we need a savior. We have old things in our lives that are bringing death, that are bringing depression, that are bringing brokenness, that are bringing problems between our relationships, that are bringing problems between our relationship with God. And we can either say, you know what? I'm satisfied where I am today. And you know what? Jesus knows me, I know him, and we're good. Or we can say, no, those old things that continue to creep up and create signs in my life that I am headed in the wrong direction, those old things that continue to creep up that provide me with information that, you know what, I don't always look, act, and be like Jesus. In fact, sometimes I act a little bit too much like Dan. And God wants to say to you this morning, this very first day of this impossible series, that it is possible for every old thing to become new. And it's okay if you have a problem, because if there wasn't a problem, there'd be no need for a miracle. And I praise God that I know the miracle that is named Jesus Christ. So we don't seek just the miracle, we seek him. We seek him with all of our heart. We chase after him, knowing that it's in him and him alone where we be able to find the old became new. And so I ask you as you sit here, what are your six stone jars? What are those old things in your life? They don't seem like they're that big of a deal, but the truth is that each and every time you return to them, you're reminded that you can never become, un- you could never become clean through them. You know what, I, I bet, because if you're like me, some of those jars, when you return to them, they actually make you feel dirty. They make you feel guilty. They make you feel, Satan uses them to make you feel like you're not enough. And what Jesus wants to say to you through this miracle, what's just below the surface is God is up to something new and he wants to be up to something new in you this morning. What is old in your life that this first day of this Easter series that God wants to make new? because he wants to start it in you today. And the way you do that is you seek him. You seek him with all your heart because we don't just seek the miracle, we don't seek the transformation, we seek Jesus, but you know what? If you seek him with all your heart, the miracle will happen. And folks, don't believe, we sometimes don't think about miracles, but the greatest miracle that you will ever have in your life is the transformation of a human heart. And I have seen God change a heart time and time again, and I believe he's not done, and he wants to do it in this place this morning. This isn't impossible. This is possible. Made possible through Jesus and Jesus alone. So what are your six stone jars? What's old that needs to become new? Would you seek Jesus with me? Because without a problem, there's no need for a miracle, but God wants to work in you today. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the signs that you give us. Even the signs, Lord, that tell us that we're 
we're off base. Even the signs that we can think right now are, are stone jars, the signs that tell us that, you know what, this pattern of behavior, this pattern of thought, this is bringing death to me. That even those signs, Lord, can be used by you to point to us the need that we have for a Savior. They point to us the need that we have for someone to step in and change our lives, Lord. For the people that don't know you in this place, Lord, I, wish, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work on their heart and that they would see that some of those things in their life that they know bring nothing but death. Those things in their life that are old, they've been dealing with them time and time again and nothing seems to fix it. That the only cure for that sickness, the only cure for that death, the only, the only thing that will ever be, get rid of that old is to become new in you, Lord. And I would ask that they would take a step of faith this morning and that they would seek you because you are the transformer of hearts and lives and we would give you the glory, Lord. Lord, and that for those of us here that have been following you for a while, that maybe we're in a rut, maybe we've, maybe we've been just going through the motions, Lord, I would ask that right now that we would be able, that your Holy Spirit and the hearts and minds of those gathered here that are followers of Jesus would be able to see those six stone jars in their life. They would be able to see those things in their life that are still old, those things that we still haven't surrendered to you and that you would give us the courage, you would give us the strength to surrender those things to you. To say, this is a problem, Lord, and I've been trying to fix it on my own, but you are the miracle maker. You are the one who can make all things new, and I need you, Lord, to begin again in me. Father, you are the God who makes the impossible possible. So do that in in the midst of this church. Transform us from the inside out so when we leave here today, we can take your message your transforming power into a world that needs to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.